it is inside out and it exploded right <laughs> hold <And> please <laughs> dodge this i am the father i'm here on a mission of mercy There's only one god man, and I'm pretty sure he doesn't dress like that. Let's put a smile on that face. I want the truth! You can't handle the truth! Open the pod bay doors, Hal. I'm sorry, Dave. I'm afraid I can't do that. Welcome to the real world. Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode 102 of the Movie Bite podcast. We're going to talk about some movies, movie reviews, movie news, trailers, and more. We're recording on Wednesday, August the 20th, 2014. I am TJ, your host. And joining me, one from a defunct TV show long ago, the other is a Thermian from the Klaatu Nebula. It's Joe Darnell and Chad Hopkins. How are you, gentlemen, this evening? I am doing okay, TJ. <laughs> uh, uh, that's too good man. Joe what about you I'm doing pretty good sir by Brathar's Hammer um, something something Grab this Thar. show is great let's do it Grabthar's Hammer <laughs> yeah so what did I say Brathar's Brathar, yeah it's, it's Grabthar's <laughs> Hammer I may be a little too familiar with the show um, <laughs> with the movie that we're going to review today we're not reviewing anything new in the theater we're, we're kind of breaking from tradition like we do sometimes <gasps> Oh, isn't it crazy? Yes. It's, 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 uh, it's, it's, you never know what we're about to do. So, uh, yeah. Um, if you, you know, one, one thing I do want to get out of the way here quickly is if you guys hear me like, uh, you know, wheezing and coughing and, and, and struggling to catch my breath or whatever, I've, I've, I've developed this head cold. Um, and it's, it's right in the mid stage between, um, the, uh, where I've, I've had a sore throat and I'm starting to get a little drainage, but I haven't started coughing yet. So it's not too bad. I'll, I should be able to carry on, but the coughing's about to start in earnest probably tomorrow. So unacceptable. Yeah, I know. I know. Chad, you sound good. You're coming to us, uh, from, you haven't done too many podcasts from your home. Actually, you've mostly been at college. So yeah, I think this is only the second or third one since, uh, I came home from this or. Came home from school. You've, so. got, you've got good internet. You've got a better room. You've got a good mic. I mean, everything everything is hunky-dory. Yes, everything is pretty hunky-dory. Uh, how, how are things going with you, Joe? I'm pretty happy. I'm doing great. I'm using a different microphone tonight, so if I sound more handsome, that's why. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I'm digging it. Well, before we dive into our items of interest and our, our kind of our news items before our review, um, we do have one thing that we want to announce. Um and I, I have something queued up here special that we're going to uh, do uh, for this announcement. Okay. All right. So this is, Chad, this is the music that you entered the show with. You might recall. Is it really? Yes. You remember I played this music for you when you first uh, started taking over the co-host position when, when Joe had to take his leave of absence. Yes, I remember. Yes. Good times. And, and now Joe is back. Um, and it was not mine or Joe's intention for this to happen, and I don't think it was yours either, but it's just sort of the way things have gone. So why don't you tell us what's going on, Chad? Well, um, as I've talked about on the show previously, I am finishing up my college degree and uh, am student teaching this semester. And part of that student teaching schedule means uh, I don't really have time for anything else. So um, because of that and just 
other various things that are happening right now, I'm going to have to stop being uh, regular on the podcast, which is sad. But uh, and of course, I come back from a two month break to announce this. Yes. Yeah. Um, well, but, and, and we've been trying. And part of the reason this came up, I think, at least in my mind, is we've been trying to get you back on the podcast since you've been back, and it just keeps not working out for you. Uh, yeah. and, you know, it's it's a sad thing, and we're really really sorry to see you go. I was I was kind of excited to have three hosts on the podcast, you know, but uh, you're leaving us, and in, in, in you know, I just I, I don't know what to do. I, I don't know what to do, man. Yeah, I mean, uh, this isn't goodbye forever. It's just I, I can't be a regular anymore, and so I, I will be happy to come back uh, for special episodes or bigger movies or what what have you. Um, it's just I, I can't make this a weekly thing anymore. I don't have as much time to go to the theaters as I used to. Yeah, and we want to have you back, um, and we will have you back on occasion, as as occasion permits, and as your time permits, and as uh, as reviews come up that you're interested in. You're you're still a member of our uh, Trello board that where we schedule stuff, which I'm not doing very good at keeping up with right now. I, I trust me, I understand the craziness. Um, <laughs> and if I didn't own the podcast, I might bow out myself. Uh, no, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> but. Uh, yeah, I, I totally understand, and especially with you being in college, and I assume you're trying to work a job and and all kinds. You know, you said you were teaching, and yeah, well, th- this student teaching gig, um, I'm at a local high school. Uh, I say local; it's actually about half an hour away from where I live. So I'm waking up at about five thirty every weekday uh, to leave the house by six to get there by six thirty for a seven a.m. rehearsal, and then I'm there for the entire school day. Um, which is usually until at least four or five and occasionally as late as nine or 10. Um, and not to mention, mention football schedule and after school marching rehearsals and all that nonsense. And it's <laughs> just, uh, I don't have as much time to go to the theaters. I, I would like. Yeah. And that's a, that's a sad situation. Joe, do you have any commentary you would like to make? I know you, you listen to the podcast a lot, even when you were not on, on the podcast. So. Yeah. yeah, well, I don't have any commentary. I just wish you all the best, Chad, while you're teaching younglings and stuff like that. You know, uh, <laughs> what kind of classes are you covering? What kind of material? Well, uh, as you know, I'm a music major, and so I'm actually helping out with the marching band and with uh, some of the concert bands later in the semester. So it's just band stuff, teaching instruments. Nice. Which is yeah. why we refer to you as the music guy on the podcast. Yes, sir. That's He's me. called the music man, DJ. Uh, the music man. <laughs> the music man, yes. Um, yeah, we're, we're sad to see you go, but totally understand and fully, you know, you know, I want to extend my, uh, full support for what you're doing. I, I think that uh, a college education is important, especially since I didn't get one and I see the benefit in it. Um, and so, uh, I, I want to, um, I want to wish you the best in that endeavor and we will certainly have you back, um, at least once every 10 years. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good to me. Uh, no, we'll, we'll have you back. Uh, we'll, we'll figure out what the next big movie is that's coming out. Probably not Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles because... Nah. <laughs> I think that's what <laughs> back we're Back to doing. the Future 4. Yeah. <laughs> oh, now, you would come we'll back for that. that one. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, which is, you know, uh, you know, obviously we played this, the uh, Back to the Future music or The Power of Love, which is famous because of Back to the Future um, because you are such a big Back to the Future nut. So. Or just of any course. old time that that it reruns on television and we'll have you back. That sounds good too, yeah. So this is not um this is not goodbye. This is see you later. Yeah. Um, well, we always said, need more guests. I'm, I'm happy to be back after 2 months. <laughs> yes. So I uh, just wanted to uh, get that out of the way and uh, move on with our episode because you are here for this episode. You're you're joining us for episode 102 to uh 
you know, to talk with us about this movie Galaxy Quest, which, as it, it, by a happy circumstance, we Joe and I talked about Galaxy Class Galaxy Quest last week, and I was flabbergasted to find out that he had never seen it, and then I was even more flabbergasted to find out that you had not seen it either, Chad. And that is nope. just an unacceptable situation, and it was easier for you to view anyway. Uh, yes. Due to your busy schedule, so we're going to talk about that a little bit later. Cool. But before we do that, um, we have a little bit of news and stuff to talk about, as we are wont to do on the Movie Byte podcast. Um, and the the first bit of news here that we have is that um, Khan, Shere Khan, has been cast. Um, for the Warner Brothers version of the Jungle Book, not the not to be confused with the upcoming Disney version. Um, th- this is um, this is the uh, this is the Warner Brothers version. I gotta wonder how he's gonna fit inside of a tiger. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, what do you? What do you? I mean, to me, this is the perfect casting choice. Hmm. I mean, I don't know. Aside from the obvious Khan references. Well, no, no. I'm thinking more of him, <laughs> his voice work with Smog. I mean, just think yes. of the, Smog's voice and then think of Shere Khan. I mean, to me, this is this is perfect. Well, at the same time, I didn't really even feel like it was necessary that he played the voice of the dragon, but he also played the voice of, uh, who was it, uh, um, the Shadow. Or something like that in the first. That's true. Yeah, the Necromancer. Thank you. Yeah, but you notice that like neither of them really sound like Benedict Cumberbatch. It's sort of like if we were to find out that, um, uh, let's say Jimmy Stewart did the voice of Jabba the Hutt. Who who had known? Because they altered the voice so much that you wouldn't have known the difference. Like it never occurred to you that it was any particular actor's voice. Yes, but. I can any any voice part that I've ever heard Benedict Cumberbatch in, I can tell it's Benedict Cumberbatch. He has such a distinctive yeah. voice. I mean, you, you didn't. You I don't know. You couldn't tell that it was Benedict Cumberbatch. Not with the dragon. Not so far. Oh my god. Not with the necromancer for hey, sure. Chad, please knock some sense into this boy for me. <laughs> I just posted a, a video link into the outline guys um, at Comic Con, I believe. Yeah, um, this la- lady dressed up. Uh, she she's dressed up. She's this big hobbit and Lord of the Rings fan. And she's got buttons all over her jacket, and she asks Benedict Cumberbatch to say "button lady" in his Smaug voice. <laughs> and this is a video of that happening. So yes, if you want to, like, give I, it a watch. It's hilarious. That made me realize they probably they probably did affect his voice, but not as much as you think because it sounded like smog. Yeah, I mean it's pretty close. Okay. Yeah. Button lady. <laughs> Uh, sorry, I can't do it. I shouldn't, shouldn't even have tried. He he has yeah he has a wonderful voice for for voice acting. I would like to know if the uh, the animators that did the tiger in the Life of Pi would have anything to do with the tiger in the Jungle Book. That would be awesome. They um, could really do a bang up job with that. I have no idea. I'm looking for um, oh yes, here it is. I'm going to put it in the show notes because I f- forgot about this. Um, so here it comes. You guys should check this out when you get a chance. What is this that you put in the uh, the show notes, Chad? Is that the one for the button lady? Yes. Okay. This one that I'm putting in is where he does uh, his impression <laughs> of Gollum, and it's fantastic. It really is. Uh, apparently, he's actually pretty well known for his uh, his imitations of celebrities and characters. Um, he actually voiced Severus Snape or Alan Rickman in uh, an episode of The Simpsons last year, which I don't watch, but... <laughs> Um, he's, he, he does that kind of stuff all the time. Him and Tom Hiddleston, who plays Loki, um, in the Marvel movies, they're, they're both very excellent, uh, impressionists. If you ever want to look them up on YouTube. 
I'm I'm looking up the Severus Snape now, and uh, I'm just seeing if this is what we got here. It's going to be a big hit. I'm fairly confident. Now, I read somewhere that you do impressions when you're on the set. There, that I think Gary Oldman does some impressions. He, he does a he, very good Ian McKellen, actually. He's a very, a good, very Ian good Ian McKellen. And yeah. you would do some back in him. You apparently would do a very good Alan Rickman. I did do an Alan Rickman. Yeah. Could we trouble you for a little of your Rickman? Here we go. What would you like me to say to you? <laughs> wow, that is really good. Yeah. Wow. That is going in the show. Yeah, that's better than Alan Rickman. <laughs> <laughs> that is awesome. This guy is good at voices. Yeah. And just, just as a quick side note, there's one of my favorite YouTube videos of all time. Um, it's called Michael Caine Does Michael Caine. And it's Michael Caine in an interview imitating the way people imitate Michael Caine's voice. And it, it's <laughs> one of the I've funniest things I've ever seen. <laughs> um, yeah, make sure that gets in the show notes as well. Um, um, the, the show notes are going to be full this week. Uh, but, but yeah, get, getting back to um, the announcement that uh, he's going to be playing Shere Khan. I mean, I think this is pretty good. Uh, the The Jungle Book, this is the thing about The Jungle Book for me. I've seen it so many times, I kind of love it and I kind of hate it at the same time. And like, there's, there's no matter what happens, it's all going to be weird for different people to be playing these characters than to, and to hear them differently than what I've heard them throughout my entire life. So at, at the same time, I'm excited to hear Benedict Cumberbatch's take on Shere Khan. Yeah, I mean, I have to agree. Yeah. So yeah, I don't think I've ever seen Benedict Cumberbatch in something that I didn't like. At least his role in it. Even uh, what was it? The um, Fifth Estate last or this past year? Sure. No, it wasn't the greatest great movie, but he was he was he was excellent. Exactly. I completely agree. It was a terrible movie, actually, but he was great. <laughs> in it. He, you know, he always he brings such dedication to the roles that he's in. And, and you know, I, I think that he always does a really good job. So, yes. Um, any further thoughts uh, from you, Joe? You seem a little bit quiet. I'm just thinking about what Benedict Cumberbatch might do with the rest of his career because he's on a roll right now. And I've been really pleased with, uh, you know, just with his filmography as a whole. And so I'm really excited to see what he can do yet because he's still, he's still young. He's, he's just, uh, you know, getting started. So, you yeah. know, uh, that was something that kind of disappointed me about James Earl Jones was that he has this fantastic voice and he could do so much with it that it, it seems like his filmography is all things considered a little bit sparse. And I feel like we've really missed out on a lot of opportunities. Yeah. Yeah, I, I suppose so. I mean, I haven't seen him in that many things now that you mentioned it, although I've seen him in a few things. I mean, he made a great Admiral yeah. Greer, for instance, I mean, you know. Uh-huh. So, um, yeah. Darth Vader, and he was in the Sandlot, and he was Mufasa in The Lion King. Of course, yes, of course. Yeah, but he, he should have been used for our Drop him. <laughs> Sorry. I, I'm terrible at voices. I don't even know why I try, but I love to, I love to try. <laughs> yeah, I just don't know why. Just give up. Uh, <laughs> shall we talk about Robin Williams and Walter Cronkite? Sure. Yeah, I don't know do what it. this is about. What is this? Okay, this is the uh, this is a video, Back to Neverland. Um, and it's a terrible quality because it's a film of a film at Disney World where you go into this little theater and you know, you, you get to see... Robin Williams and Walter Cronkite talking about um, animating, uh, for instance, um, uh, Peter Pan. Uh, It's wonderful. Let me me play a little clip here. This is Walter Cronkite here at the Disney Animation Studio. Today we'll have a unique look at how their films are created. 
sir. You, sir, there. Yes, sir. Could you give us a little help today? Oh, yes, sir. Well, you wait a minute. You're Walter Cronkite. And that's the way it is. Hold on, Walter. Can you just a moment? How you doing? Name's Robin. Nice to be, but you can call me Chuck. <laughs> So there's there's several things about this video. Are you telling me, Joe, that you didn't watch this video? You didn't do your no. homework? Sorry. Ugh. Tisk tisk. Chad, I it believe you watched so- it. I did. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, it's pretty good. I mean, I wish I had the version where it wasn't a film of a film on screen, but even so, it was it was fun to watch. For me, there were multiple layers to this thing because first of all, Walter Cronkite, which he retired a year before I was born. Even so, I mean, he's been on so many things, and he continued to be around even up into the 2000s, and the name is well-known. And so there's that layer, right, of just Walter Cronkite doing this thing, uh, which I had not known that he did. Um, and, and and then there was the um, the, the whole uh, layer of the, the animation. Like, I, I love digital animation. I love what's going on. You know, I love Pixar's work, but there's just something about hand-drawn animation that is so um, – Oh boy, how how would you say it, it just has a, a real kind of a warmer feeling or I don't know, or a, a more homey feeling or there's something very appealing about it. So that's the second layer. Yeah. Hey, I have an idea. Let's coin the term classic animation. Classic animation. There you go. I mean, it, it literally, they, they talk about and they show artists actually drawing animation and, and, you know, it, it really, I, I remember even before I was thinking about a, a career in film, which I'm not even doing anymore, but even before then, I remember, you know, watching some, some things on animation in the hand-drawn animation, and it, I, I, it just totally clicked with me what a frame was when, when I saw this animated thing where he started flipping through the pages, and you go, oh, a frame is a page of animation, and, and that, that, that is a concept that carries throughout, uh, you know, we watch we watch moving pictures. What does that mean? Well, we watch frames that each frame subtly changes, and you all of a sudden, when you view those together, it's moving. I mean, it's just you know concepts that I don't know. I, I just I just love the whole thing, all of that stuff. Yeah, and what's cool about this is that it's uh, it precedes Robin Williams' work with Disney on both Aladdin and then his work with uh, Steven Spielberg on Hook, and yes. so you're getting both the Disney element and the Peter Pan element that he would later revisit. Yes. And that's the third element, the the layer of watching this for me was just seeing Robin Williams in that, you know, doing that part and being so animated with his voice and, and doing the voice work and, and, and doing the, the whole gig with Walter Cronkite. Oh, you're Walter Cronkite. You're the, and that's the way it is, you know. And and it was uh, it was just wonderful. I mean, I just I yeah. really enjoyed this video. Yeah. I don't think I could ever watch anything with Robin Williams in it that I wouldn't like him in. Yeah, it's, it's hard. I've it's, seen some. I've seen some pretty awful films that had Robin Williams in it. He'd still make me laugh in spite of it all. Yes, yeah. That it, it's it's hard to to see Robin Williams and not not like him. So yeah, I can't believe you didn't watch this in preparation for the show, Joe. Oh, I'm sorry. I was busy writing notes for the outline and uh, preparation for the review later. And <sighs> I was preparing for the show. I wasn't reading your fluff on MovieBite.com. <laughs> <laughs> okay well thank you guys for tuning in we'll talk to you next week I know. <laughs> no, in actuality this is definitely something i'm going to pause to watch after we're done with the show tonight it was funny with just that little bit that you played at, uh, a moment ago uh it didn't occur to me just that uh you know some of my best friends really like to imitate their favorite comedians and it just didn't occur to me until now how much one of my best friends really channels Robin Williams and it sound, mm. it sounded like it could have been this friend of mine that I that I've grown up with and when I heard him talking to Walter Cronkite and I was like holy cow 
Uh, that's, that's interesting to me. Like, you know, we all have our heroes and some of my friends have their favorite comedians and I didn't realize just how much they imitate them sometimes until I got to watch more movies, you know, over the years. And I was like, ah, oh, hey, that, that, that's so-and-so imitating, you know, Will Ferrell and, you know, stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, that's pretty much all I have to say about that. I just wanted to highly recommend it, even though the quality of the YouTube video is terrible. Look past it. It's wonderful. Um, and uh, Do you have a year for when that came out? No, uh, no IMDb. Idea. IMDb says 1989. Oh, there you go. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. Well, now there is other news that there's more President Coin in the film than the books for the Hunger Games series. Yes, um, and I don't quite know how I feel about this because on the one hand, I, I am somewhat of a book purist, although I'm not opposed to changing it if it makes sense. Oh, it makes perfect sense. You know, like uh, speaking of the necromancer, he would have not appeared in The Hobbit at all. Yeah, for the most part, and you're talking I... to the wrong person if you want <laughs> agreement from me on this one. Okay, well, then let's talk about Lord of the Rings. Yeah, for the most part, <laughs> I felt very good that Peter Jackson did a good job by the way in which he doctored up characters and omitted some and gave more screen time to characters that wouldn't have otherwise gotten the attention they deserved if it was a you know page for page you know translation of the books yeah and I, for the, with lord of the rings for the most part i agree i feel there was some excesses going on there but nothing like the hobbit mind you um and yeah. i think gabriel green makes a good point um over in in the comments section on this article um uh, where he says he thinks it's a good thing since her character, spoiler alert, and this is a spoiler alert uh, for the, the upcoming film and the, and the books if you haven't read them, uh, becomes a major villain and it would probably be best to get a bit more of her than was shown in the books. And, and I suppose that's true. I just, I'm not sure though, even though she becomes a pretty major villain in a way, I'm not sure that more of her really helps the story. I don't know. But but at the same time, I trust, like, like Francis Lawrence did such a great job with the previous film that I kind of trust his instinct on this. Well, and the other thing, too, is that Julianne Moore is a larger named actress. And so if she's going to play a part in The Hunger Games, she's going to get X number of minutes of screen time in the least. So they probably would have to make a little bit of adjustment just to, you know, make that work. Yeah, I suppose well, on- that's probably true. Honestly, I think that we also have to consider that this is going to be a part one and part two of a, of a book, of a single book. Um, and so we have a little bit more time to flesh out characters a little bit better. And I mean, if I, I don't honestly remember a lot of President Coin in the book, I need to revisit the trilogy. Um, oh. but no doubt the um, author had lots of source material that he, they could pull from. Well, yeah, I, I mean, as far Julian as I know, Moore is great. So, yeah, as far as I know, the author is involved, and so I'm sure that she could, she could, you know, say, "Oh, well, this character, she would do this in this circumstance, and if you want more of her, here's the way to do it." And I suppose that's certainly true, right? Um, so, another thing I do like about this is that the leading lady, the protagonist, is you know uh, a leading lady. You know, she she is this uh, strong dominant force. And I think, uh, you know, all things considered, it's nice to see the bad guys have a very prominent uh, female lead as well, um, you know, to so, uh, just so that it doesn't look like it's a, a gender-based war that, that's going on in the Hunger Games. Like, uh, you know, all the men are at the top of, you know, the number one district. And, you know, if you're an old white guy, you must be evil, you know, True, and yeah. women are not, you know. So I, I do appreciate uh, garnering a little bit more of a balance that, 
you know, it doesn't matter what your gender, what your race and things like that. You're, if you're evil, you're evil. And sometimes it helps to channel a little bit more of a balance through things like this so that the audience is not distracted by the inessentials, the things like race that really don't matter to the essence of the, the meaning of the story. Yeah. And, you know, I, I don't know that I would say that President Coyne is evil. She does basically become a villain, but it's not quite that clean cut and dry. Um, So, you know, I I don't know, but I get what you're saying, and I think that does make total sense. And and that that can help because she does essentially become a villain. I think that can help lead to some some balance, as you mentioned. So that's a good point. Although I think a lot of people would be happy with the fact that the old white guys were the evil ones and, and, you know, the the younger women and women in general were not. But right. Uh, anyway, I, I, I just want good story, and I, I think we'll get that with this film. Because, like I said, we got it for sure with Francis Lawrence's previous outing in this franchise. So I'm, mm-hmm. I'm really looking forward to the next two. And, and I think this is probably a good thing because, I, as I mentioned before, I do have some issues with the book and the, and the way the trilogy ends. And I'm hoping that they can, they can bring a little bit to that diff- – you know, bring a little different twist to it in the films perhaps. They'll call that the TJ alternate ending on the Blu-ray set. Um, I'm sure they will. They, they've been in contact <laughs> with me. I can't reveal too many details about that right now, but um, I know that they have been in contact <laughs> with me, and I have been in con- my, my people and their people have been talking, and uh, we're, we're going to make something happen. Oh, yeah, and I'm really excited, especially, TJ, about the link-up you've got going with the Hishi channel on YouTube. That's a really good thing going there. You know, so uh, yeah, how it sure. should have ended on YouTube, you know, you know, I like how you and they are, uh, you know, having a meeting of the minds and you're going to do something special as well there, too. Uh, OK, sure. Yes, I, I, I couldn't <laughs> tell you anything about that or I might have to kill you, but um, we, we should move on. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, we'll just have to cut all that out of the, the yeah, show. It, 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 it'll never make it into the show. We'll edit it out. All right, so this is why we're never going to see, or probably not going to see, an original theatrical release of the Star Wars trilogy, and it's probably not going to happen. This is according to Devin Faraci over at Badass Digest. Comicbook.com is reporting that Disney plans to release the original Star Wars trilogy in their original untouched form on Blu-ray. The report claims that Disney has been hampered by getting the original negatives into good shape. There's one problem with this report. Disney doesn't own Star Wars, The Empire Strikes Back, or Return of the Jedi. Fox does. They own the distribution rights. They also own the distribution rights to the prequels. Um, The rights to Empire and Jedi and the prequels will, will revert to Lucasfilm and thus Disney in 2020, but Fox will retain the rights to Star Wars forever in perpetuity. They'll never give it up. Will they work with Disney to do some sort of release? Sure, there is a lot of money to be made, but unless a deal has been made quietly to give Disney the distribution rights to the original trilogy, there's no chance the Mouse House is working on a re-release. This is sad, but I think this is true. This is I, the, every time somebody says Disney's working on now that Disney they're working on a release of the original theatrical cuts. It's like, no, they can't. They they can't. They simply cannot do that. They do not have the distribution rights. So I don't know. What do you guys have to say about this? I know that they don't have the rights, but I wouldn't put it past them to pay top dollar to get them. And I also think that uh, even Fox, if they have anyone with sanity in in their studio, they'll realize what a money-making opportunity this really is. And I, I fully expect them eventually to come out with an original cut to just you know capitalize on the situation themselves. I don't disagree that there's a lot of money to be made here. I don't think that Fox is going to let Disney buy them because I think that ultimately, because as Star Wars ramps up, they're going to be able to make a lot more money 
selling these things than they are to selling the rights of it to Disney. I, I, I really don't oh, see, sure. see that. Yeah. But but my, the problem with the rumor is that the, all the rumors say Disney's working on this. Disney's doing this. And Disney can't do this. And and I, yeah, that's I don't just even know, in ignorance. Uh, you know I, I don't even know that uh, Fox would want to uh, go against Lucas' wishes, even though he's not really in the picture anymore. It's been his express wish that the original theatrical cuts never see the light of day ever again. Which is sad and stupid, and sad. I hate that man for it. But that's <laughs> that's kind of his wish, and he still has some sway. He's still a consultant. He's still, you know, in the mix. I don't see it happening as long as he's alive. No, it's unfortunately not. And it would be a lot of work. They'd have to go back because because you know they've got all the digital stuff and they've added a lot of digital. But the, but the original film print. As, as I understand it doesn't actually the original theatrical cut film print doesn't exist it would have to be reassembled from the original negatives which would would be quite an undertaking um, and the I don't I don't see that there's a lot of financial benefit to Fox or Disney for this or, or really to Fox uh, when they already have the blu-rays that they can continue selling that are already you know all they got to do is stamp them out and people are gonna buy those just as, just as well there's not very many in the world like us three who would prefer the original theatrical cuts. <laughs> I don't know. I have a hard time believing that. I think that there's a lot of people that would like it for perpetuity. And then there's other people who prefer them. And you look at the size of things like the sci-fi conventions and comic con, those people, if you just said, Hey, you know what? We're going to bring out a truckload of the original cut here. Uh, they wouldn't care if it was bootlegged. Like they would be snatching well. up those things <laughs> like, you know, a bootlegged, a bootlegged editions uh, assembled from the HD versions of the original Star Wars theatrical cuts of all three of the originals does exist. Exactly, and I have, happen to have those. <laughs> <laughs> but that's my point. Like, if you can sell bootlegged copies, or at least ways get them out there into the fans' hands, and they cannot, you know, meet the the demand with their, you know, a limited supply. It just stands to reason that there is a great moneymaker opportunity here. And I, I know I'm, it's going to be a technical challenge, I'm but just, I think it's inevitable. Well, I don't know. I mean, they can do it. There's no doubt that it can be done That from the, to assemble the, the original theatrical cut from the film negatives is not it, it can be done. It's just I'm just thinking of I'm just approaching this as a studio executive, you know, who's, uh, you know, one of the fat white guys, you know, with a cigar, you know, sitting back in his chair, the producer back there going, <clears throat> we already have Star Wars out on the shelves and these are we, we can we can ramp up and sell these guys, you know, and not spend as much money and make more money on this because our fans are going to buy it just the same. Um, I'm just telling you the way I feel like studio executives think. And and I don't I don't see any decision making gears uh, that would that would really, really push them to to re-release the theatrical cuts. I've I've kind of revised my thinking on this from when I posted the article because I said it does. It, here's what I said: It says it would make sense for Fox to capitalize on the opportunity with a Blu-ray re-release of the theatrical cut. So let's hope that's a thing in the end. After all, I don't know. I I, I guess I'm being kind of skeptical. I I just don't see it happening. Yeah, probably not. Unfortunately. Yeah, no, very unfortunate. I would buy those in a heartbeat. I would in a cold minute. I would I would I would buy those and. uh I would be happy to uh, – in fact, I, I, I think I mentioned on the show already I have a friend uh, and his wife who have not seen the original Star Wars, and I'm going to show them my original theatrical cuts that I have, which I don't feel bad about because I own the 2004 um, uh, editions of the of the original films. So it's it's not technically pirating, right? Right? <laughs> yeah, um, I actually have the, the 
the Blu-ray trilogy or saga, complete saga, which yes. I mean, it is, it does have the unfortunate additions and no, no, slight see, changes I'll, and stuff like that. I won't, but, I won't um, watch it. It's a copy of star Wars. Not so. going to happen. Not going to watch those. <laughs> and I'm, I'm, I'm sure I'm going to keep them pure for these innocent minds who have never seen star Wars before. Uh, I don't know, man. I, I, I understand purity and all that. And that's uh, it, it, it. But sometimes purity isn't everything is cracked up to be. <laughs> I prefer the 97 special editions. What? All things considered, you like are I know, dead to me. I totally know I'm dead to you. Like I, I've always been dead to you. But, uh, you know, if you just look at those movies, they they lacked a lot of luster because they were lacking so many special effects that the film just wanted them to have. No, I completely disagree. Um, I think that the films have the perfect amount of special effects. Now, now you may be thinking, well, they look bad because they're you know originally from VHS or whatever. There's but but these cuts that I have, they're, they they basically they've been assembled from HD versions, but they mirror the original theatrical cuts and they don't have any special stupid stuff in them. Um, they're 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 wonderful. They're really wonderful. They look great. They're wonderful. If there were an addition that added Jar Jar Binks somehow, I guess I would object. But Chad, I'm going to mute Joe like here uh, so that you can't <laughs> hear him, and and then he can just keep on talking, and we'll just continue the show. What do you say? Are you sure you want to leave, Chad? Come on. Yeah, I was about to say I might have to reconsider sticking <laughs> this around. Is, this is not good. I can't. I can't live like this. Ah. <laughs> uh, uh. All right. Well, that's that. In my mind, that's why uh, the original trilogy is not is probably not going to be re released. Um, TJ. Yes. I paid for this microphone. Yes. Oh, you don't get that reference. Never mind. That's a movie reference. Yeah, I'm I'm drawing a blank. I feel bad. Sorry. I feel bad about myself. What movie are you are you referring to? <sighs> you uncultured swine. What movie? I think it was uh, I think it was Ronald Reagan that said it once, and Ronald Reagan was imitating Spencer Tracy who said it once. Okay, yeah. Well, everybody knows speaking, that. Speaking of uncultured people, uncultured swine. Um, let's talk about the the uncultured uh, vermin who um, harassed Zelda Williams on social media and caused her to abandon social media after her father Robin Williams' death. This is according to Doug Gross over at CNN. Zelda Williams abandoned her Twitter and Instagram accounts Tuesday after saying at least two people were sending her photoshopped images, photoshopped images, people, of her father's dead body and other disturbing messages, some blaming her for her father's death. And to quote her, she says, I'm I'm sorry, I should have risen above, deleting from this from my device for a good long time, maybe forever. Time will tell. Goodbye. This is awful. The episode proves that with the anonymity of the internet, some people will be horrible no matter the situation. And and I just wanted to to uh, point this out and 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 just say who what horrible people were doing this and if I have any listeners in my audience who would even think of doing something like this, please never listen to this podcast again. This is terrible. I I I will not condone any actions like that. Oh jeez. Sometimes I, I I don't even know why I'm on the internet. This is so horrible. Yeah, I, yeah, I, I can't believe this. I mean, the way her father died is bad enough, and now that she's being harassed about that, that that's just not not acceptable who, in who, any any sense of the word. Who sends photoshopped images of her father's dead body? Uh, who would send that to her his daughter? I, I mean, this is, she's, she's already traumatized. She's already lost a loved one. How? <clears throat> yes. Okay. So I just wanted to put that out there and say. Shame on these people. Shame on them. How yeah. how dare they do this? It's terrible. 
be be a decent human being. <sighs> all right. All said, TJ. I'm 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 done with that. That's that's all I can take of that. You guys agree? Yeah. Okay. Well, why don't we dive in to our review then of Galaxy Quest? In the far reaches of the galaxy. A civilization is under siege. We are all that is left. They've searched the universe for a leader. Stay tuned for scenes from next week's Galaxy Quest. Never give up. Never surrender. You will save us. What they got. Never give up. And never surrender. We're struggling TV actors. So this was from the trailer for Galaxy Quest. It came out in 1999 on Christmas Day, December 25th, 1999. It had a budget of $45 million. Opening weekend, it made $7 million. Worldwide gross is $90 million. Now, $7 million sounds low to you. Remember that this is 1999 is a completely different time from uh, 2014. And... and I don't think that was really good, but I don't think it's the lowball number that we think of today. And we think of a $45 million film making $7 million. Um, and it did go on to make $90 million, uh, $90.6 million uh, worldwide gross. Um, Rotten Tomatoes says that intelligent and humorous satire with an excellent cast, no previous trekking knowledge needed to enjoy this one. I, I beg to differ on that. Um, and it was directed by Dean Pariseau, uh, writers David Howard and Robert Gordon. Starring Tim Allen, Sigourney Weaver, Alan Rickman, Tony Shalhoub, Sam Rockwell, Daryl Mitchell, Justin Long, Enrico Colantoni, Robin Sachs, Missy Pyle, and Jed Reese. Composer David Newman. Uh, Chad, since since you're still here, tell us a little bit about <laughs> David Newman if you know anything about him. I'm not as familiar with him as with others. Um, he Just looking through his filmography, funny story, he actually wrote the music for that Return to Never- Neverland short we were talking about okay. earlier. That is um, funny. Yeah, and he, he wrote the score for Serenity. The Sandlot. Yeah, Sorry. I noticed that, Joe. He, he scored Serenity, in case you missed that. Um, where, oh, cool. You know, yeah. But yeah, that. Uh, so yeah, continue. Um, for The Sandlot, which is a great, great film. Um, other than that, I'm, I mean, there, there are lots of movies that I recognize. Nothing that is incredibly recognizable, although I've heard that his score for the new Tarzan animated movie that came out last year um, is actually really, really good. Um, and he is, um, the cousin or no, the son of Alfred Newman, who composed over 200 film scores in his lifetime. Um, he's a brother of Thomas Newman who got nominated a couple of years ago for Skyfall and also did finding Nemo and Wally. And, uh, he's the cousin of Randy Newman who did a lot of Pixar work as well. So it's one big, happy composing family. And I really like the music for this movie. So, yeah, well, I think we can also agree that um, the the music for this film uh, is is pretty fantastic. I, I I find it fantastic anyway. Yeah, I thought it was great. I was really impressed. I'm considering getting it for my own collection. So yeah, I, I was surprised to find that I don't have it. I haven't been listening to a lot of soundtrack in the last couple of months. So I'm about to about to go back to listening to some soundtrack at work. Uh, and um, as we were talking about Galaxy Quest last week, I thought, oh, I don't have that soundtrack. That is something I must rectify because it is fantastic work that he did. On, I mean, he created this theme within the movie for the show that kind of became the larger theme, but there were subtle differences. I mean, it, it was just really fantastic uh, work on the scoring department, I thought. Yeah. Um, 
So, Joe, I, yeah, uh, uh, go ahead. Well, I was just going to note that the, what's interesting about the music is how it really catered to the genre, and it felt like it was um, a offshoot of things like Star Trek, which this film is imitating. And I know that the, we can take that for granted because we've seen the film, but anyone who is considering this film and just kind of wanted to know what exactly stood out to us, it was that, in a way, although the film is really a satire, the music doesn't really feel like it's just a big joke. It, it stands on its own two feet as a great listening experience. Yeah. Very adventurous. And, uh, I, in fact, uh, those listening in, to the podcast uh, will be hearing some soundtrack in the background. I've made a note. I put a marker in to insert. I don't have it handy, but uh, I will insert uh, some music because it's just fantastic. Uh, and so the, okay, whole, so the music you're listening to, or either either are listening to right now or were, depending on how long the track is, uh, <laughs> is from Galaxy Quest. Uh, so, Joe, why don't you uh, tell us a little bit about the story, since that's what you like to do. Mm, yes, je- ladies and gentlemen. So the cast of the early 80s sci-fi TV show Galaxy Quest have almost hit rock bottom. Stuck entertaining geeks at fan conventions, the crew of the fictional NSEA Protector Starship don't know how to reboot their acting careers. So they suffer the dullness of their pitiful legacy for their avid fans. But one day an alien race called Thermians come to visit the cast, under the impression that the TV show was historical and the actors were the noblest space, the noblest space ad- travelers in the universe, defending the weak and giving hope to the innocent. Thermians plead with Peter Taggart, the fictional commander, to rally his bridge crew together on a mission to save the Thermians from Saurus, a very real, wicked general of reptilian humanoids, waging a genocidal war against the Thermian people. Through sheer comedic timing, the cast of Galaxy Quest find themselves living out a dangerous adventure in their real lives that mimics their television adventures. With no script, no director, and no clue about real space travel, the actors have to turn in the performances of their lives to become the heroes the aliens believe them to be. Yes, not a bad, uh, not a bad uh, uh, storyline there, Joe. Although I would quibble with your use of the word bridge crew. The word bridge is not used in this show. It's it's the command deck and not the bridge. Ah, oh yeah. Well, that's, that's okay. Yeah, tomato, that's okay. tomato, man. Yeah. <laughs> it's fine. Um, yeah, I, uh, I really love this movie, guys, and that's why I insisted that you see it. Uh, and I think it's yeah, a good one for the Chad. me is alive when I watched this film. I was really pleased as punch. I, I was not <laughs> expecting this kind of caliber of comedy, and I had lots of laughs. I watched it with my younger brother, and he wasn't expecting this much either. Yeah, it, it's uh, and, and and the thing about this film, as I mentioned last week when I told you about it, is is it kind of catches you off guard too. In that, yes, it it's played up for the comedy very much so, but there's a story there. There's there's a story, and and ultimately, that's to me what makes a film good is when there's a story. You know, if it's a comedy, it's, it's fine. I'll probably watch it, you know, once in my life and then be done with it. But there's a lot more meat to to Galaxy Quest, I think, than than initially meets the eye. Yeah, and I was surprised by some of the depth of uh, a couple of the scenes. There's one at the end in particular with Alan Rickman that really actually got to me a little bit. Yes. And I wasn't expecting that in a movie like this, and I can always appreciate when a movie like this can do that. By Grabthar's hammer, by the sons of Warvan, you shall be avenged. Yeah, that was an awesome moment. Yes, yes. There was, there was, he, he probably had the most character growth 
of any of the characters on the show. Although uh, Jason Nesmith's, uh, you know, Alan, Alan, uh, not Alan, uh, Tim, Tim, Tim Allen. Allen. See, Alan Rickman and Tim Allen. Little, I'm going to get so confused. Tim <laughs> Allen's character, Jason Nesmith, had a lot of character growth. Don't get me wrong, but I think that I enjoy Alan Rickman's arc as uh, as Alexander the best. Uh, and he has such great humor. I, I love the part where he's trying to sneak out in the trench coat, and it's just right. wonderful. It really is wonderful. And he's, he's like... I won't say that stupid line again, and nothing you can say will make me. Right. <laughs> and that said, I, I really did enjoy the cast on this film as a whole. Sigourney Weaver, yes. uh, uh, Tim Allen, Alan Rickman, you know, the supporting uh, roles with Tony Shalhoub and the guy who played the expendable crewman. I don't even remember the actor's name. But it was Sam okay. Rockwell. How do you not know Come Sam on. Rockwell? Sam Rockwell. Who's Sam Rockwell? Uh, I know Norman Rockwell. Who's Sam? Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my did you not see the way, way did you not see the way way back what's that yeah uh, the Chad? best movie to come out last year <laughs> you, you you are you're, you have homework dude <laughs> yeah you do oh okay i guess that's what we're going to be reviewing I, next week i think i gave it four and a half no we've already talked about it on the movie back podcast yeah. i think i gave it four or four and a half stars i don't remember it might have been four and a half it's it's fantastic yes okay yeah. okay yeah. fair enough you but what about well, what I was going to say was I grew up with Tim Allen on TV shows and his um, stupid Christmas movies and things like that. <laughs> and what I remember of Tim Allen was kind of soured because apart from his great voice part of Buzz Lightyear, I always felt like the guy was um, too fake and pandering in his comedy. And I felt like, yeah, sure, he had his moments, but they were hampered by the fact that I just don't think the guy had all that much talent. And I don't understand what, you know, like fueled his fandom, except for the fact that people were hard up for better material, I guess. Do y'all feel differently? Have you never seen Home Improvement? Yes. And that's what I mean. I mean, like, have you gone back to that show? It does not stand the test of time. Admittedly, it's been a very long time, but I, I remember thinking it was pretty funny. Jonathan Taylor Thomas, notwithstanding. Uh, I, man, you, you got it all wrong. I, I don't think it's funny. Like, I think it may be worked for its moment, but that moment is long gone. Okay. All right. I mean, I mean I, that's I, fair. I'm not the biggest Tim Allen fan either, um, aside from Buzz Lightyear, of course. But I thought that with him being a sort of Shatner-esque character here, oh. a, a parody of he Captain Kirk, it. He, he nails it here. I mean, he's perfect for the role here. Yeah, I mean, he really nailed that parody. He walked such a fine line, and and it really did kind of have echoes, very much echoes of of William Shatner. I think I think William Shatner has mellowed a lot in in his older age, but yeah. even even still, you get that pompousness and that arrogance. Um, you know, recently he took to Twitter. William Shatner, I'm speaking of, he t- he took to Twitter and berated Twitter for verifying somebody's account that he didn't think was worthy of being verified. And you're, you're like, yeah. really? He's- Who made you the Twitter police, Mister <laughs> Mister Smarty Pants? I mean, you know. So he has that very, you know, um, uh, pompousness, and and I think Tim Allen really kind of captured that uh, in in a in, in a parody sort of way. While there was there's no you know nothing says this that this film is a parody of you know that, that Tim Allen is a parody of William Shatner, but you just you just know it. He just is right, and uh, it, it's it's really fantastic. He he walks such a fine line too. Like he could so easily you know go into Shatner's line deliveries, or or it could really run <laughs> off the rails. And he really doesn't do that. Like there's once or twice when you get a hint that he's he's affecting something about his lines, but it's not the the William Shatner, 
delivery. It's, it's not that, you know? No. Uh, not at all. But yet you get the sense that he's doing stuff just like that as this character. Yeah, there's right. a there's plenty of homage to go around without outright like insulting the original material by simply copying it. And that brings up the point that this film is a, a near perfect parody of Star Trek franchises, primarily focusing on the field of first and second generations. There's plenty to go around here, like um, you know, there it, there's a, a spiritual quality to it that like it just feels like this could have been made by the same producers of Star Trek stuff. But yet it wasn't, and I'm just impressed by how well they knew the material they were satiring. Oh, it was so well executed. They they must have had many Star Trek fans in the fold on this film. Yeah, and, and a lot of a lot of Star Trek people. I, I mentioned it again, again. I mentioned this last week, but it's it's relevant here because it, we are talking about this film. Anthony Pascal, a Trek movie, says it's one of his favorite Star Trek movies, and it's not a Star Trek movie. Uh, so, <laughs> um, you know, if that tells you anything, I, I think fans, even even the I, like, I am not by any means one of these crazy trekkies i love star trek but i'm not like i don't go to conventions and and i don't dress up and i don't have i don't have any uniforms i do have some starships on my desk yeah but um (laughs) um i think any any fan who's honest with himself you know who doesn't take himself too seriously loves this film Uh, that that's the general consensus i think there are those who think oh i I don't uh, i take star trek way too seriously and i don't want any parody of my star trek films but but i think those of us who who you know take who do like star trek but who don't take ourselves too seriously i i think it's a great film yeah yeah get a life people (laughs) (laughs) but but see the reason uh, oh god the Wikipedia page for the film has a few quotes from Star Trek actors like Patrick Stewart and Will Wheaton and George Sakai. And they're all uh, – I'll let you read them yourselves or if you want to read an excerpt here, that's fine. But um, they're they're very praising of this film as Where well. Where are these quotes I mean, at? On Wikipedia if you just go to Galaxy Quest. Nice. Well, while uh, TJ is looking that up, another point I was going to make was that though this is a very funny film, I wonder if someone who doesn't appreciate Star Trek can real richly enjoy it. The gags depend on the viewer's familiarity with the science fiction genre in general and the geek culture at large, and like we've already brought up heavily, the the Star Trek culture. So, um, I, my younger brother, he he's much more familiar with Star Trek than I am, and I think that there's a whole new generation that came along after this film who are familiar with JJ's version of Star Trek films, and for the most part, the the annals of Star Trek pre you know predated the last five to you know to ten years and so there's been a there's a whole large audience that hasn't seen the classics um you, you think about the the wrath of khan your favorite film tj yes that goes all the way back to the early 80s and there just uh, so few people have ever even seen it so when they saw jj's uh khan it was actually new material to a lot of people who you know, didn't have fathers to introduce them to the Star Trek franchise, the stuff that they watched when they were kids, you know? So um, I, yeah. I feel like as a whole, if you aren't familiar with Star Trek, you will enjoy just the, the sheer natural uh, essence of the, of the comedy in this film, because there's also a lot of pokes at Hollywood, the experience the actors go through and the, the, the sheer nuttiness of actually trying to live out those things in real life and take them seriously. Yes. So there's a lot of comedy there for the people who are not familiar with Star Trek. However, <clears throat> I think if you know your way around Star Trek, then this is an absolutely hilarious parody. 
yeah, I, I do think these quotes are worth worth reading on the, on the air, uh, Chad. So I'm I'm going to do okay. that. This one is from Patrick Stewart, who played Captain Picard in Star Trek: The Next Generation. He said, I had originally not wanted to see Galaxy Quest because I heard that it was making fun of Star Trek. And then Jonathan Frakes, who played Commander Riker, by the way, uh, rang me up and said, you must not miss this movie. See it on a Saturday night in a full theater. And I did. And of course, I found it brilliant. Brilliant. No one laughed longer, or louder or longer in the cinema than I did. But the idea that the ship was saved and all of our heroes in that movie were saved simply by the fact that there were fans who did understand the scientific principles on which a ship worked was absolutely wonderful. And it was both funny and also touching, and it paid tribute to the dedication of these fans. That was from Patrick Stewart. Will Wheaton, uh, best known for his part of Wesley Crusher on Star Trek The Next Generation, which most people hate, but like Will <laughs> Wheaton as a guy, said, I love Galaxy Quest. I thought it was brilliant satire, not only of Trek, but of random, of fandom in, gen- in general. The only thing I wish they had done was cast me in it and have me play a freaky fanboy who keeps screaming at the actor who played the kid and how awful it was that there was a kid on a spaceship. Alas. <laughs> <laughs> That's so Will Wheaton. And then George Takai, who's a little bit crazy, uh, and, yeah. uh, and he's very uh, bitter about uh, William Shatner, but he says, I think it's a chillingly realistic documentary, and then he laughs. The details in it, I recognized every one of them. It is a powerful piece of documentary filmmaking, and I do believe that when we get kidnapped by aliens, it's going to be the genuine, true Star Trek fans who will save the day. I was rolling in the aisles, and star Tim Allen had that Shatner-esque swagger down pat, and I roared when the shirt came off, and co-star Sigourney <laughs> Weaver rolls her eyes. There goes the shirt again. How often do we hear that on the set? <laughs> uh, TJ, you're supposed to read all of those in the voices of the people they were from. Oh, I'm sorry. I, I, I don't think I could do a very good George Takai. Um, he has such a... I like, think it's a chillingly realistic documentary. Yes. <laughs> That was more the Dracula. details in it. The details. <laughs> in it. I recognize every one of them. Yeah. <laughs> Did that oh work at my. all? Yeah. Oh it was my. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes. Uh, yeah, those are cool quotes. Yes, uh, I, I love that they they recognize because because it can very easily have turned in such a way that the the actors in this show that the parody was of would not like it. But but I'm glad that they saw the humor in it because you know Star Trek is serious drama, but it's it's it, there's always when when something is taken very seriously there's always room for parody. I mean look at look at how uh, and the more serious the more room there is for parody. I think because look at how serious the Batman the Christopher Nolan Batman franchise is and look at all the parodies of it out there and the people parodying right. Batman's voice and stuff like that. Yeah. So absolutely. Yeah. So speaking of the parody qualities and the sort of the meta narrative that was going on because these were actors and they were coming from their experience with television and then trying to live out the adventure as though it were somehow just like television, even though their lives were at stake. Um, I just really appreciated, again, going back to what we were saying before you started the quotes, that even though there was a lot of material here that Star Trek fans will gravitate to and understand and the culture at large can just, you know, gab about it forever. If you are not into sci-fi films, I think that you will still have a lot to enjoy here. Oh yeah. You know, even if you're not a Tim Allen fan, you'll still have a lot to enjoy here because the absurd juxtapositions of the actors experiencing their deep space adventure in real life just made for some excellent comedy. It, it really did. It really did, and that, that's where there's something for everybody. Like I, I would disagree with with uh, the uh, Rotten Tomatoes summary that no previous Treknologist needed to enjoy this one. At the same time, there is something here for everybody. If you're not a previous Trek fan and you don't like sci-fi, I think that you would really love this movie because it's a parody. It, it, it really kind of shows how silly that can be. 
But right. if you, but I believe there's such another dimension to get here if you, if you know anything about Star Trek and the fandom. So yeah, I mean, I wish I was a little bit more familiar with classic Star Trek. I I'm not. I've only seen a few episodes of the original series, and I, I'd like to amend that sometime. I just don't have time. Um, so uh, I, I, I was able to catch. Yes, I was able to catch. Uh, the references that are like well embedded in culture. I mean, obviously the red shirts, right, um, right, right, and and it, stuff of that nature. I was able to catch a lot of that, but uh, I wish I was a little bit more familiar so I could maybe found some of the more deep rooted Star Trek humor that I, I'm sure exists in the movie. I want to go back after all the fuss you made about being left behind. <laughs> well, that's when I thought that I was the one who dies on the ship. <laughs> Sam Rockwell is again hilarious in this movie. Yes, he is. I don't know. I mean, he was okay, but he wasn't my favorite. I didn't get the most laughs. Yeah, I from don't him. don't think he'd really come into his own yet. Really, at, at this point, I mean, he no, was I mean, there, he, but very young. Yeah, obviously, the real comic relief on this on this film was um, uh, Monk Tony uh, Shalhoub. Tony Shalhoub. Yeah, he, he's, he's <laughs> like, no. What if you're the plucky comic relief? Besides, <laughs> I just had this really funny idea. <laughs> <laughs> or really hilarious I don't remember what he said but. really an unexpected performance coming from Tony because I've seen him in other character driven roles and here we are again with you know that's one of the, the excellent things that I enjoy about Tony and it's something that reminds me of older filmmaking was that there used to be actors that wanted to be character uh, to, to give character driven performances and I think that yeah you can say that some of the performances today are still driven by character person when I say character I mean like personality and idiosyncrasies and your eccentricities but they're not nearly as frequent now like you usually see um stereotypes in modern film stories whenever you're dealing with a uh, a comedy and so what we do is we put down the stereotypes in this film you don't have uh, an emphasis on stereotype humor you have an emphasis on uh uh, well, just like personality differences and like how this actress is trying to, uh, to relate to a group of guys and a, a, a very male dominating cast and <laughs> right. you know, things like that. Uh, I appreciated that quality and it's something that we don't see as often in modern films that I do I really got from things like Tony's performance. Yeah. Yeah. There were a few other observations I have about this film in general. I want to get back into the likes pretty quick, but um, if y'all don't mind indulging me here just a little bit, I know, Chad, you have familiarity with sci-fis that I don't. And, uh, you know, like Chad, that's like what you were, you know, weaned on as a child was just like comic books and, you know, sci-fi. So uh, maybe you could give me a little bit more uh, insight into this stuff. Uh, for, first of all, it felt to me like the film, even though it had uh, two distinct alien races um, p- play major roles in the film, it felt like the film itself was actually alien shy. As much as possible, the bad guys looked like grisly aliens, as though the look of aliens lend themselves to something that audiences feel is foreign and unlikable. And then anyone that was supposed to be a friendly person, uh, you know, in support of the, of the protagonists, they they looked mostly human, even if they weren't. And wait, I had wait, to wait, figure wait. that this was for two reasons. Go ahead. Uh, I'm, I'm looking up the exact word. So the aliens, they look human because of their generators. They're actually cephalopods. 
Right. And, and really, I'm not picking apart so much like uh, the reality within the narrative. I'm actually sort of like analyzing the why was the story told this way and why did the filmmakers perhaps have a reason for uh, avoiding more general appearances of aliens at large in their film. And I think that the bottom line was that they probably wanted this film to appeal more widely to general audiences because they were trying to get general audiences to laugh at nerds and to laugh at the, the ridiculousness of this kind of artifice, right? And so what they wanted to do is insert as many uh, relatable humanoid or human people as the people you, you would laugh with and not laugh at. And then you know they wanted to make the sci-fi elements all the more stark with the grisly aliens as the bad guys as to say – you know, there's sort of a, there's a lot of this culture that we really don't get into and we don't like, and, you know, you can laugh at them, not with them. Does that make sense to y'all? Yeah. But I I think you could also sort of just explain this with the story. I mean, the, the, the Thermians uh, uh, make themselves look human because they, they watch this TV show that is human. I mean, they're, they modeled the design of the ship after the ship that they saw in, uh, the TV show, which is operated by humans. And so maybe that's more of a convenience thing for them. If you want to explain it that way. Um, I don't know. Does that make sense? Yeah. What do you think TJ? Uh, I mean, so, so I, I was having a hard time following, like, is it, a, are you complaining about this? No, or? this is just a general observation. Okay. I, I just found it interesting that they took the film in this direction because you go all the way back to Star Wars and people like my wife, you know, they like to watch it once in the blue moon, but they can't really get into it because they think things like all these alien races uh, turn it into a fantastic fantasy that is unrelatable to human experience. And so then I think about, well, in a movie like this one, you have primarily a, a huge uh, film that's supposed to be imitating Star Trek. And for all of its myriad ways of imitating Star Trek, it has very few visible aliens, which Star Trek has plenty of. Mm, yeah, I mean, it does in some ways, but in a lot of ways, if you look at the primary crew of the Enterprise, they're all humans, except for Spock, who looks like a human except for his ears. Right. Um, so I don't know. I felt like that was pretty realistic. Um, but as far as like the characterization of the aliens, I mean, it, 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 it you know, in order to relate to audiences, you do kind of have to make the, I mean, think about the Klingons, uh, and, and they became good guys later or, or pseudo sometimes good guys, mostly good guys later. But in the original series, the Klingons were, were dirty and gritty and then they, you know, they weren't as made up as they got later. They didn't have the ridgy foreheads at first, but, but they were always meant to be like greasy and, and dirty because that's the way we think of when we think of bad guys. And, and so they're trying to relate to us as an audience. And I, I think that there's, there's less nuance in that, um, you know, the, what we're used to now. But at the time, and, and, and because this is a parody of a show that happened in the 60s, or I think in, I think in the movie, the show, the, the Galaxy Quest show happened in the 70s. But in any event, um, that, that's kind of how things were then, and so they continued on in that trend. Now, I do kind of have this nitpick, though, uh, and it's really my only nitpick with, with the movie, is that um, – uh, that that, that kind of ties into my nitpick, I guess, is that this alien, he, you know, he doesn't have uh, a lot of character development and, and he's, he's bad because he's got the, the you know, the, the nasty scaly skin. Um, so, you know, 
it, mm. it's it's a bit unbelievable i guess that that was my nitpick when i wrote the review is that it's it's like okay yes the show was was stupid but now the the premise is that you're in real life and these things are really happening to these actors and it still felt a little bit too parody-ish and, and it's not really a huge complaint because, come on, it is a comedy, so I right. can't really complain about it. But if I were nitpicking, that would that would be it. So it kind of falls in that same vein, I guess. Right. And speaking of that, you you made an excellent se- uh, opportunity for a segue here. Um, it, it made it called attention to the fact that around the middle of the film, I realized just how effective their concept was being executed. They had this brilliant idea that everything about their fantastic TV show was purely make-believe and could not possibly be real. And so the audience connects with that message very early on because you see the actors at Comic-Con where all the nerds look like absolute you know, crazed fans that are just out of their minds. I think they called it GalaxyCon, but... <laughs> yeah, I guess so. What did I call it? Comic-Con. Oh, I, okay. Just, I, I, that's what it was. <laughs> I mean, that's essentially what it is. Yeah. And, you know, it just made the fans look like, you know, fruitcakes, you know, because in general, they, you know, they were very committed to the series. They, you know, they're dressing up like they would at Comic-Con. They're wearing the, the cosplay costumes and so forth. And so nobody can take these fans seriously. And so what's interesting, though, is that uh, through the course of the film, they got into a deeper emotional conflict, this theme for the film, where there was this emotional conflict with the good aliens when the actors had to confess that they were only pretending to be the heroes on TV. And what's fascinating is that real life wants to imitate make-believe here. Uh, These aliens were inspired by the paragons of cheesy virtue that were the characters (laughs) on Galaxy Quest, so they made their culture a copy of the characters on Galaxy Quest. So we see in this one silly story the profound negative and positive effects of life imitating art because then on top of that, the actors felt like the only way to get out of their, their very dangerous and life-threatening and, and you know, preposterous scenario was to channel their characters in order to have the confidence and courage to face the, the aliens that were supposedly real. But like you already pointed out, TJ – very much like true to the parody and, and and against real life, how the aliens were a bit too, a little bit too much on the nose. Yeah. Yep. I just found that very interesting. It was a pretty, it was a pretty well done ex, uh, stated theme. And, uh, you know, I didn't expect that kind of theme coming from a comedy. Usually comedies, when they, when they attempt to say something meaningful, they fall flat in their face because they feel like it was forced, especially these days. I don't. I can't really like critique a an era of films and just make a blanking case ar- argument. But it feels like so many comedies these days, when they try to say something rich and meaningful and purposeful, it all of a sudden feels like you just broke the fourth wall. You're you're not being true to comedy anymore. Please get back to the comedy and don't try to get dramatic for no apparently good reason. Just because you think you have to make a moral to the story. Yeah. Interesting to me. I don't know about you. Yeah, no, I mean, it's all good observations. I think you, you warned me that you were going to have a lot of observations that weren't necessarily good or bad. Um, yeah, well, that, that's all um, as far as just uh, general observations were concerned. Okay. Uh, Chad, cool. what else have you got? I really liked the Thermians, and I think Mathazar was definitely my favorite character. Have um, either of you seen uh, Veronica Mars? 
No, but I looked oh. up uh, the actor. And yes, so I know. Enrico. Col- Colin yeah. Tony. Colin Tony? Yes, he, he's he's pretty fantastic in Veronica Mars, too. Anyway, go ahead. Really? Um, but I, I was constantly laughing at the Thermians because of how they were obviously... I think it was a mix of trying to imitate the the you know the the typical William Shatner uh, broken form of speaking that people always make fun of. Um, they, they sort of had a little bit in that, and then it, um, the way they they're not used to having two legs to walk on, and so whenever they had their two legs, they they looked like they weren't ever sure how they were working. Right, and yes. ju- just just all of these. It's like they slapped together what they think are characteristics of a human and just sort of half did it. And it was hilarious. Yeah, yeah. And I love their, you know, you know, the whole Frank, you know, the frankness, you know, they don't lie. They don't right. understand deception. He's like, it, was, it is inside out and it exploded. Right. <laughs> Hold, and, please. <laughs> and when uh, when Gilligan's Island is brought up, which is uh, a show that I really enjoy, they, they, they like get all somber for a second. Those oh, those poor, poor people. people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's pretty fun. Uh, <clears throat> yeah. Yeah, it, 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 it's, uh, it's definitely interesting. I, I remember, I, I think I liked them better on this watch. I remember not liking the Thermians very much, uh, when I first watched the film, but I, I think my appreciation for them has grown, uh, with the with subsequent viewings. Um, and obviously okay. you, you liked them right away, so. Yeah. Uh, I, I thought the casting of um, uh, Sigourney Weaver as Gwen DeMarco was, was pretty fantastic. I mean, she, cause she's obviously known for her role in aliens. Uh, so she's kind of attached to the sci-fi, but then to give her this, this role, uh, I, I mean, I, I just thought she did a really good job with it. You know, she, she yeah. really played that, uh, that, uh, she, she was so upset about the way they treated her character, you know, and as a woman and then, you know, but she's right out there, you know, this is what she has to do. And so she's out there on the stage, you know, uh, it, it's, it's just, uh, it, it's just, I thought she did a really good job. Yeah, and it's funny that how uh, the character has this disdain for, I, I was just a sex symbol of the show. Right, I just repeat right. what the, the computer says, and then as soon as she gets back to that uh, that role and she has a chance to do things differently, she can't. <laughs> <laughs> I have one job on this ship. It's stupid, <laughs> but I'm going to do it. <laughs> right. She's funny. Yep. Uh, yeah, I mean, and, and this is the thing about Galaxy Quest. It's, it's really fantastic, and, and I'm kind of out of stuff to say about it because, I mean, what can you say about it? I mean, I don't really oh, have... I've got lots more. Okay, well, I don't really have anything, like, bad to say about it other than that one nitpick because, you know, it, it doesn't rate, like, five stars, but there's... Just because it's a comedy, and I typically prefer dramas, and, and so those are always going to get a better rating from me, but I don't really have a lot else to add other than my general praise for this film. I mean, it's a fantastic concept, so... Right. I'd love to hear what you have to say, Joe. Uh, well, you, you go ahead first, Chad. Do you have, do you have any uh, dislikes in general for the film? Uh, I didn't write any down. I don't know. I might agree with some of the things you say. So Okay. Okay. Well, uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I don't want to be, uh, again, a nitpick. Like you pointed out, DJ, this film is a comedy, and so it's very difficult if you want to analyze the film because you can't really get critical about something that was meant in jest. But at the same time, I'm just going to give it a little bit of a critical eye because it was trying to uh, be very true to things that are, you know, generally comedic about, you know, real life. Like it was not just parroting uh, Star Trek, but it was also uh, making light of how seriously we take our entertainment and how we respond to entertainment. So was, uh, so something that, that sort of bugged me is that uh, how 
geeks these days in 2014 are generally appreciated and even admired sometimes. Um, but at the time of this film's production, I don't think that nerds or geeks were uh, all that well respected. They were put down as social outcasts. I think they were coming into the, the into the light, if you want to say it that way. At the but but I think you're right. Not as much as today, you know, in right. our in our internet culture. So it, it, Galaxy Quest was sort of at this turning point in filmmaking and culture when I think the film was a little too unfriendly towards geeks in general. And I think that if the film were made today, that they would have put them in a more positive light. Now that's being said, I, I, I don't, I, I want to kind of qualify this dislike with uh, another like for the film is that I love the arc. The actors don't understand or relate to the heroes that they portray on the show. Then they are forced to imitate their heroes. And, and so doing the prove that what the nerds liked about the show was actually meaningful and good that there was something wholesome to the show in spite of its cheesiness and superficiality. Because if people anywhere were as heroic as these protagonists, they would be people you want to applaud because of their nobility. And that is what the nerds really got into about the series. And one of the reasons why it seemed meaningful and purposeful, apart from the fact that it was just something to get into and pass the time with for its entertainment value. And I think that that's interesting because the film doesn't criticize uh, what we really get uh, in the heart and soul of things like Star Trek. It doesn't make f- fun of um, heroic, uh, heroic gestures and courage. Yeah. It, it, the film uh, showed a lot of positive reinforcement for heroism. And it, 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 it walked a very fine line of making fun of things like the, the, uh, the idiosyncrasies of William Shatner and Captain Kirk but not making fun of um, what protagonists do, you know, um, that yeah. was pretty special to me walking that fine line. Um, another dislike though, the film wanted to have, okay. I know that y'all will probably disagree with me on this one. And it, this is not a big deal, but it was something that instantly I became a fan of galaxy quest and it disappoints me that there is not a sequel already for this film. And the reason we are discussing it is for the possibility that there might be a sequel made for this film. Yeah, there's um, nothing official, and I don't think there's one in the works. But the the, the characters, uh, the, the crew, have uh, or the, the cast have all uh, said they would love a sequel. And I completely agree. I want one. Okay. But just sure. taking the film in isolation of itself then. The film wanted to have the characters do an awful lot in the one film, and I think this helped maintain the comedy, but it dramatically diminished the character-driven moments. Uh, There were several interesting characters here, and I felt like none of them were given a treatment they deserved because the film didn't take any of them seriously because, after all, it's supposed to be considered a self-aware silly parody. So they didn't take the time to give... Uh, most of these characters, the attention that I really wanted them to to revel in, just you know, just really like you watch good films like The Avengers nowadays and the Galaxy uh, Guardians of the Galaxy, and there are so many wonderful character driven moments, and I think that that is something that we really enjoy about ensemble stories, and this is an ensemble story, but it was ahead of its time where it it didn't really give as as much occasion to to just really flesh out your uh, rich enjoyment of the characters so like alan rickman's character 
And what was the guy's name again? Alexander Dane. Thank you. Uh, the actor character, Alexander Dane, he, he's this guy who, who, uh, really was serious and uptight about his acting career. And then he's got a little bit of a character driven moment near the end of the film that was a highlight for Chad. But apart from that, I felt like they only teased us with the potential of all the other characters. And we did just, we just really didn't get to see them come into their own. Yeah, I mean, and that's a problem. I mean, even look at something like The Avengers. Uh, you know, Joss Whedon probably did the best that anybody could do, but even so, there are some characters that languish a little. And in a comedy, you really don't – probably they weren't thinking uh, with an eye towards, hey, let's make sure every one of these characters gets their time on screen as much as they should have. That said, I mean, there was certainly some very good character arcs from um, yeah. from from at least three of the characters. So I, I felt like that was a pretty good – I mean, I would love to get more from some of the others if we get a sequel, no doubt. But I felt like they had a pretty good ratio as it was for a, a, a less than two-hour film. I'm, I'm pretty sure it's less mm-hmm. than two hours. Yeah, 102 minutes. I was going to say, I'm pretty sure I looked at the clock and we were done. Say, oh, it's, it's, it's a nice, tight film. So Yeah. Uh, just one more thing I wanted to add another like was that the production values for Galaxy Quest were much better than I was expecting. I forgot how far – uh, special effects and visual effects had come along in the late nineties. And this film's production design is on par with at least the standards of TV shows. It parried parodied. And if yeah. uh, not other films from the late nineties. Yeah. I mean, the only thing that I noticed that was just a little bit off was sometimes with Saris's mouth, because obviously that's very much a lot yeah. of prosthetics on, on uh, what, what's his name? Um, uh, Robin Sachs. And, uh, you know, it, it, once in a while, his mouth just didn't feel quite right. It wasn't moving with with the the voice quite right. But I think for the most part, you're right. They really nailed it, and and the the special effects certainly do look fantastic for a parody film. No doubt about right. that. Cool, cool. Um, uh, and if I really, really wanted to nitpick, Uh-oh. I think that a lot of the cynics <laughs> would do this too. Um, Chad, you, you surely you will agree with me on this one. Uh, there was this one moment in the film or earlier on that felt like the filmmakers simply just didn't care to resolve a huge conundrum, and that was getting the actors to space. The first time a human goes with the aliens, they take a limousine into the alleyway, alleyway and they just like beam the entire limousine up into space. And this was strangely underwhelming as though the filmmakers simply didn't make an effort to make anything more plausible than that at that moment. I assumed that they had a pod big enough for the entire limousine. Um, uh-huh. Yeah. So the, the way that you saw the individuals go through the, in the pod, I don't know that, that didn't bother me too much. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I'm not I, saying I really it was something it. to, it's not something to burn bridges over, but it was it was just annoying. <laughs> a hashtag nitpicky. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah. What else you got, man? No, that's it. Chad. Galaxy Quest. Fun stuff. Uh, I'm good. I had a great time watching it. Thanks for recommending it. Yes. Uh, so now you'll pay more attention to me in the future. When uh, like <laughs> <laughs> we'll see. Yeah, so let, let's move into our, our final ratings, our star ratings, and our, our final analysis of the film. Uh, would you, Joe, recommend this film to any and all viewers or some viewers, or, or what, what do you think? What, what would you say about this film in conclusion? Yeah, I would definitely recommend it. You know, Get this film if you want some comedy, if you've never seen it before, or if you're just a Star Trek fan or just a sci-fi fan. Um, I think you're going to have a lot, a lot here to enjoy. Yeah, Chad? Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry, Joe. What was your star rating? You didn't mention it. I give it three and a half out of five because. Say what? 
<laughs> uh, okay, like you're kind of pushing pushing it here, guys. Like to give it four stars, you're saying it's that close to films like Guardians of the Galaxy. Yes, and I don't think it's that close. Like it's a very entertaining film, and as a as geek, I am. Uh, I, I'm a little bit self aware here, and I have to admit. This film isn't as good as all that. I just like this film more, but that doesn't mean that it deserves that much star power. Because on the one hand, although we really enjoy the cast and we really enjoy the production values, and there is a surprising amount of good execution on the concept, the overarching, like, uh, uh, the overarching whole of its parts is just not on par with like what they can do with really excellent co- comedic sci-fi today and uh, before this film. So what but, I heard was despite the fact that it's worthy, you're going to give it less because you feel <laughs> like it should have less. In comparison to a lot of other films <laughs> that it's not on par with. <sighs> you say so. Chad, let's balance this out a little bit. Four stars for me. I had a great time. I think it's it's, it's a fun movie for sci-fi fans, non-sci-fi fans, people who want to see Alan Rickman be goofy after roles like Snape. Yeah. Um, I mean, it, it's just a lot of fun. I, I, I don't really have a lot to complain about or anything to really complain about. So, yeah. Yeah. And that's the same way for me too. Like I don't have a lot to complain about and, uh, I, I do understand a little bit where Joe's coming from because even though I don't yeah. have a lot to complain about, I still only give it four stars because it is a comedy after all. And, um, I watch it, you know, every couple of years, but it's not one that I'll keep coming back to like the current Marvel series, which is pretty serious. Although then you've got guardians of the galaxy, which isn't <laughs> is hardly serious at all. And it is one of my favorite films this year. So right. I, I can like a comedy to that level. And I do like this one a lot. Um, yeah. And so I give it four stars, and I highly recommend it to anyone who has never seen it. And if you have seen it, go watch it again. You've probably forgotten how good it is because I know it's been at least two years since I've seen it, and I forgot how good it was. Even though I was recommending yeah. it, I forgot how good it was. <laughs> cool. So, yeah. <clears throat> well, I think that's it for us this week. Um, Chad, you're leaving us, so why don't you tell folks where they can keep up with you? Well, um, probably the best place to keep up with me right now is on my Twitter, which is uh, twitter.com slash chadadada, C-H-A-D-A-D-A-D-A. Find me on Facebook at facebook.com slash chad.hopkins. And I might eventually start writing on Chad Likes Movies again sometime, but nice. right now is not that time. So we'll see. And Mr. Darnell, though you uh, were far too harsh on this film with your three and a half star rating, people <laughs> still might think you're worth keeping up with. So where can they do that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whatever you want, TJ. You know, if you if you want a little bit more of a uh, balanced perspective on things, then just uh, catch up with me. I'm on Twitter. Just uh, look up <laughs> underscore Joe Darnell and check out my website, joedarnell.com. And uh, you know what? I also write for Movie Byte too. So th- there's a little bit of redemption there. You need to check out that site and you need to read my stuff at moviebyte.com. All right, and you can find me at on Twitter at TJ Draper Pro. You can find me on MovieByte, moviebyte.com, M-O-V-I-E-B-Y-T-E.com. Uh, if you would like to find show notes for this episode, then you can look those up at moviebyte.com slash mbpodcast slash 102. This is our 102nd episode. So be sure to check those out. And, uh, yeah, that's it for us this week. Chad, much, much sadness as we say goodbye I, I just don't know what to say, man. 
Yeah, it's been fun, TJ. It's been a, a good year. It's been more than a year since I first started. So. Yeah, I'm trying to remember what episode was. What episode number did you first come on? Do you remember? It, I want to say it was like 51. So that sounds right. I'm looking. I'm looking. So MB Podcast slash five one. You. It's me. You and uh, Fizz. Let's look up five zero. Five zero is me and you. So. It was okay, then fifty. So let's see, forty nine. Uh, that was me and Joe. Uh, so yeah, you came on on episode fifty. So you were with us for roughly half of our run, and you'll be yeah. back. You'll be back. I'm I'm gonna have to I go will. in tonight and remove you from the 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 because I have a thing where I select the hosts for the shows, and that right now it says this movie the movie by podcast is hosted by T J Draper, Joe Darnell, and Chad Hopkins, and I'm gonna have to remove your name, and it's very sad. Yeah. Well, it is sad, but it is not goodbye forever. So yeah, we'll see you again. Well, I'm sure we'll have yeah. you on this year, even. So yeah, probably. All right, Chad. Well, thank you so much for stepping in when we needed you, and uh, thank you for your hard work and dedication. And we really wish you the best on your endeavor with uh, you know your education and your teaching and all that stuff that you have going on. Uh, really wish you the best. Thanks, TJ. Yep. Don't be a stranger, T- uh, Chad. All right, that's it for for us. We're out of here. Thanks, guys. Good night.